Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Jim, in the last episode, we kind of beat up on Google, and now we're about to go after Coke. So I guess it's our month to go after the corporate malefactors of great wealth. Okay, so let's break some China. What if we had a show about solutions? You know, a repair manual for the real world. Not the same old left versus right. I am right, I'm right. and you are wrong. You're right. Boring. <laughs> yeah, something new. Yeah, something new. How to make the world a better place. Yeah. How, How do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? So, Richard, there's a big controversy brewing about Coca-Cola. It's come out that they've been giving money to scientists who work at this group called the Global Energy Balance Network. And a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, like millions. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they're certainly not the only group to try to encourage science that supports their interests, but it certainly makes this research look pretty fishy. Mm, yeah. And this, this research says, and it's just, by the way, something that might benefit Coke, worrying too much about what you eat uh, and not paying enough attention to exercise is, is a mistake. Right, right. And the amount of soda people drink today, I mean, it, it, this is a real issue with the obesity epidemic. And, you know, I, it always freaks me out a little bit when I go to the movies. I see people handing these, like, 30-ounce sodas to their nine-year-olds. So, you know, there's a genuine problem here. There is. But that said, Coke is perhaps freaking out that its sales in the U.S. are going down. People yeah. are drinking less soda. So, so maybe that's why they've done this kind of messaging effort. Consumption's gone down something like uh, 10% over the last um, 10 or 15 years, which is surprising and, and actually, you know, good news, but it, obviously not enough. Okay, so Kelly Brownell, who's dean of the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University in North Carolina, is joining us and uh, via Skype. And he's a leading expert on obesity, diet, and public health. Also a professor of psychiatry, psychology, and neuroscience. So a real expert here. So, Dr. Brunel, welcome to the show. Before we start the serious stuff, um, because we're just a couple of guys talking about these things, let me ask you first, <laughs> what did you have for breakfast? Oh, this morning I had the oatmeal with skim milk and some berries on the side. And, and no brown sugar on top, I assume. No. <laughs> okay. You know, we're interested in the role of sodas and sugary drinks in America's obesity crisis. Just how big a problem is this? The obesity problem in the United States and essentially every country in the world is really very important. Uh, in fact, overnutrition and obesity is now more a significant problem around the world than hunger. 
two-thirds of adults and a third of children are overweight or obese. Uh, and the problems are especially concerning in children because uh, early obesity tracks into the adult years. And so if you're overweight as a child, it's likely, you'll not, not 100% certain, but it's likely that you'll uh, remain overweight throughout life. And when you begin to look for causes, there are many, and nobody would claim that it's just attributable to one thing. But you have to begin somewhere, and looking at some of the major drivers uh, is probably the right way to go. And that's where soda slash the sugar beverages come into play. Very good science showing that these are strongly related to risk for obesity, diabetes, and some other major health problems. You know, we called you because of this whole controversy over Coke and funding scientists, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I first wanted to ask you about your view. What is the best way to lose weight? Is it is it the calories we eat, or is it the lack of exercise that we have that are the biggest problems? Both are drivers, and there's controversy in the field about which is more important. Uh, the people that work on nutrition generally feel that diet is more important, and those who work on physical activity generally believe that that's more important. Um, but I think most people fall in the middle somewhere, believing that both are important. That, that's a really interesting point you made about scientists. I guess, you know, they're like the rest of us. If, if, you, if your uh, field is exercise, then you're more likely to think that's important. And if your field is uh, diet, then you think uh, that's the most important thing. The nice thing about tackling both diet and physical activity simultaneously is that they're both related to a number of positive health outcomes, irrespective of your body weight. So people who are normal weight, but eat a poor diet, have increased risk for disease, and then the reverse would be true if they eat a good diet. Uh, and the same is true for being physically active. So everybody in society benefits if you can change the environmental factors that are causing us to eat too much and eat poorly and to exercise too little. Now, this, uh, this current controversy came up with the news that Coca-Cola was funding this group, the Global Energy Balance Network, a number of scientists who promote the idea of really stressing more the exercise side of the equation. And were you surprised to find out that Coca-Cola money was behind some of this research? Oh, heavens no. Um, <laughs> whenever their companies have an interest in some public debate and they feel they can have science that is on their side, they'll generally go after scientists and try to fund them and get them to do research that favors the company position. It's happened with alcohol, with auto safety, when, especially with tobacco. So there's a long history of that. We can't be surprised when it happens in the food area. Coca-Cola has an especially important interest in this because the sugared beverages have become a primary uh, source uh, target for the public health community in trying to address the obesity problem. So what's your view of companies like Coke funding these scientists who are legitimate scientists, but nevertheless, uh, they're promoting a message that's pretty friendly to Coke's corporate interests? It creates clear conflicts of interest for the scientists because then, in some ways, it's kind of a no-win position for the scientists who take the money to do the, these studies because when they publish research, then at least some fragment or some part of the scientific community is highly skeptical, and the press tends to be as well because the people have received money from the industry. Um, there's pretty good research showing that scientists who, who get money from industry tend to publish things in industry's favor. Why did you get into this? I mean, do you have a personal reason for, for being involved in this research and, and in this uh, fight to try and reduce uh, people's weight to a healthy level? Well, there's sort of an intellectual reason and, and personal reason. On the 
personal side, I've struggled with my own weight over the years. And so it's nice to line that, that interest up with my academic interest. And then from an intellectual point of view, food and food policy are so important and so fascinating. You know, how, we're, how are we going to feed the world in the upcoming decades with the population increasing so much? What about climate change produced by animal agriculture? How are we going to reverse these rising obesity trends? What's happening in the developing world? pertaining to food. All these are really interesting and important issues, and so I love working on them. Now, interestingly, the sales of Coca-Cola and of, of soft drinks in general have been declining somewhat, so the message seems to be getting out there, but people still drink something like, I, I think the number I saw was something like 42 gallons a year, which does which still sounds like... Well, the average person <laughs> drinks yeah. 42 gallons of that's, soda a year. That's, wow. That's kind of staggering to me. So talk to us a little bit about your research. What is it in particular about sugary drinks that makes them problematic? Well, there are about seven or eight major reasons that make the sugared beverages a real problem. Uh, all the sugar is obviously a problem, um, and it can't be a surprise that you're going to have trouble with body weight if you're drinking a lot of beverages that contain no nutrition and a lot of sugar. But there are also some very interesting biological things going on, including a possible effect of sugar on the brain, where the brain reacts to sugar like substances of abuse. There's also this very interesting finding that people don't seem to understand, they don't seem to recognize calories or they don't seem to feel as full when they're consuming calories in liquid form. So let's just say you two guys, uh, we have an experiment comparing the two of you. And so each of you gets your traditional lunch, whatever that happens to be for you, but you each get 200 additional calories. One of you gets the calories in a liquid form, like a sugar beverage. And the other gets the additional 200 calories in a solid form. It could be pizza, donuts, or ice cream for that matter. And then we see whether your bodies are wise enough to know that you had the 200 calorie excess and you adjust later by eating less. The one of you that's had the calories in the sugared beverage will do more poorly at compensation than the person who's had the solid calories. Now, I know you're an expert in neuroscience, so is, so is this just the brain forgetting that it had uh, a sugary soda uh, as opposed to remembering that it had eaten an extra slice of pizza? Well, I don't consider myself an expert on neuroscience, but my colleagues and I have done some work on food and addiction. And if the sugar is, is acting on the brain and creating symptoms like classic substance of abuse, like withdrawal, and craving and tolerance, meaning you might need more of it over time to produce the same effect. And people find these things highly rewarding because of the effect on the brain. Then there's something that makes you come back for more that's driven by biology, not just desire. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For the product. What about diet soda? I mean, zero calories. Uh, is, is that a problem or is that part of the solution? Boy, is that a complicated issue. The, the, um, there's, there are really two concerns with the diet products. One is the safety of the sweeteners. Um, and with some of the ones that are relatively new, like Splenda, let's say, there may just not be enough years of experience to know whether they're having negative effects on health or not. Um, the other concern is whether they really help people control their weight. And the research on that is all over the map, with some things suggesting yes, and some studies suggesting that it has a paradox to be negative effect on people's ability to control weight. So there needs to be a lot more research on this before we really know what the impact is of the diet product. Uh, we want to talk about solutions and about your ideas, your fixes in, in just a couple of moments, because that's a lot of what our show is about, is how do we fix it? Uh, but I want to go back to your research. You've been at this for a long time. I think the last time I spoke to you, Kelly, was back in 1988, and we were talking about yo-yo diets. So what have you learned in this field that has kind of changed your mind, that has made you go in a different direction over the last 30 years or so? Well, it's actually, I'm, I'm an interesting example of the shift that's occurred. Back when we spoke and we were talking about the impact of diets, all the attention was on individuals. How could you go on the right diet in order to control your weight? So it was a time of popular diet books and people were t debating should it be carbs or should it be fat and there were all those sort of things. But it was all focused on the individual changing their behavior in order to control their weight. Since that time, the, the nation has shifted really quite remarkably toward a public health approach. Why is the population overweight rather than individuals? And then you start to look at factors that are, that are contributing to obesity at the level of the population. So they're usually sugared beverages, for example. Research shows that clearly that they contribute to obesity. People are drinking tremendous amounts of these. These are marketed very aggressively by the companies, and they're widely available at low cost. So while they may not be important for every individual. They're important for the population. What about concerns on, on the environment? Is that also uh, playing a bigger role in this debate about what causes obesity? Well, the yes, there are a number of environmental triggers that people have begun discussing. So there's uh, the environmental factors that are making people less physically active, environmental factors that are driving poor dietary choices. And people have also begun looking at things like pesticides and plastics and what people refer to as endocrine disruptors. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about those endocrine disruptors. This is something we've heard a lot with the various chemical agents in the environment. Do you, you feel that it is, is there research there that suggests that there might really be a, a, a tangible issue that we need to deal with in those? There's enough research uh, to suggest that we ought to be doing a lot more research and doing it more aggressively to figure this out. Um, you know, they're funny, not funny, but interesting observations about the food supply. For example, when I was a child, uh, I don't remember anybody with a, with a nut allergy. And now it's probably a pretty unusual child that doesn't have a friend with some kind of nut allergy. Now, what's occurred in the environment to make us so sensitive to those? It's not as if they were being missed earlier on. They're pretty hard to miss when people have such big reactions to the nuts. So there's something possibly that's in the food supply or something that's happening outside the food supply that's stripping away whatever immunity we had to these problems.
And now when you talk about the uh, the environmental factors, too, you, you, you focus on soda because it's got such a high amount of sugar and people drink so much of it. But we're seeing sugar turn up in all kinds of products where you wouldn't necessarily expect it to be, right? Right. When you talk about policies to reduce soda consumption, what would be desirable would be to reduce sugar consumption overall because soda is not the only contributor the reason that people are focusing on things like a tax on soda rather than a tax on sugar overall is it's probably easier to accomplish politically. Uh, it's a category of food that people understand, uh, and so it's just easier to, to get things like taxes passed. But what I suspect will happen ultimately is that the, the, there will be policies that will help address sugar overall and other parts of the diet that, that might be contributing to obesity. Okay, well, well let's go into our solutions uh, let's have a look at some of the things that you feel should happen for us to deal with this crisis, bearing in mind that uh, it looks like the number of people who are obese is just beginning to to come down, according to recent research. So what's your first suggestion about government policy? What do you think the government can do in playing a role on this? One guiding principle that I think is very helpful is to defend the health of our children. And when you start thinking about that, you discuss foods that are available in schools, foods that are marketed to children, and how foods are priced. And if you tackle those three things, I think you could get a long way toward having a healthier diet for children. So you can have policies that only allow healthy foods in schools. Uh, there could be some restrictions on what foods are marketed to children. And, of course, you can change prices by increasing the price of the unhealthy options, and, and use the money to decrease the price of healthy ones. Um, and there's a long history of us doing those sort of things as a nation, and, and more and more we're thinking about applying them into the food arena. And the, the proposal that's really gotten a lot of, uh, a lot of attention is uh, a, just a straightforward, straight-up tax on um, sugary soda. How do you see that working? That's something that I've been working on for a long time, and I'm, I believe very strongly that it could be helpful for the nation's health. Um, it's modeled right after the idea of a, a tobacco tax. Um, the, we have about fewer than half the people smoking in the United States now than what used to be the case. And you can count the lives saved in the millions from that. And there are a number of things that have driven that. But the economists have suggested that the high taxes on cigarettes have been the most important and it, the tobacco taxes had the most profound effect on young people who then didn't start to smoke and then therefore get addicted because they were most price sensitive. Which states so far are considering this? Is the, has this idea been taken up a great deal? Well, there are about 30 states, believe it or not, that already have such taxes, but they were put in uh, as very small taxes generally to raise revenue, but not high enough to affect consumption. I think you just said that you felt that the price of, of unhealthy food perhaps could be increased and the price of healthy food could be decreased. Does that also mean a tax or the government getting involved in setting the prices of certain foods? You don't set the price of foods, but you can set the tax on a food. So government doesn't set the price of cigarettes. The cigarette companies do that, but they impose a tax to increase the price to discourage use of the cigarettes. And... If we were designing a food supply right now from scratch, let's say we didn't used to eat food and now we had to, so we design a food system, you'd like the healthy options that contribute to health, improve the environment, and do things like that to be less expensive than the ones are that are having bad effects. Um, 
but it tends to be the reverse. The highly processed, highly caloric foods tend to be less expensive than the healthy ones. So it would be nice to help uh, turn that around. So the the city of Berkeley recently instituted, a, I think it's a 20% tax on, on soda. Any early word on how that project is going? The Berkeley tax is uh, one penny per ounce of beverages with added sugar, which amounts to about a 20% increase in price. And it's uh, some researchers are studying the impact of the tax, but I haven't seen the data yet. The best research that's out now is from Mexico, which imposed a tax about half that size. In fact, a tax that was low enough, 10%, that there were real worries about whether it was high enough of an increase to, to lead people to drink less of the sodas. But in fact, they are. And so the data from Mexico were quite positive. Let's look at solutions now for individuals. What are some of the things that all of us could do to be involved in this? Because there's no doubt. We can talk a lot about government. We can talk a lot about companies like Coke. But there's also a responsibility factor for us. There is. Um, you know, it's interesting. When you talk to people, when you talk to the experts about what is the best advice for eating a healthy diet and controlling one's weight, it sounds pretty much like it did 20-some years ago. But it's basically, you know, try to eat fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and keep things like meat consumption under control, and to watch one's calories. Richard and I, we, we don't always agree on everything. I come at the world a little bit more from a kind of a squishy libertarian uh, point of view. He's a little more of a squishy uh, centrist. <laughs> yeah, squishy centrist. <laughs> so um, so from from that side of the, of the perspective, I think, you know, uh, first question I'd ask is when we get back to the tax issue and specifically, doesn't a tax like this hit the poor hardest? Isn't it regressive? Yes, that's one of the arguments against the tax. And the same was made, the same arguments were made for tobacco taxes because poor people were smoking more than wealthier people. Um, the diseases that are caused by these substances, in the case of the sugared beverages, obesity and diabetes in particular, are highly regressive diseases. That is, they disproportionately hurt the poor. And so to do something that would help lower that health risk in, in those folks is likely to be considered a good thing. And if you use the revenue that was generated from the tax, now that's a big if because you never know what government's going to do with the revenue from a tax. But if it got used to, to be a progressive subsidy, that is, say, low, be used to lower the price of fruits and vegetables, then it would disproportionately help people uh, who are in unfortunate economic circumstances. We've been talking about the obesity crisis uh, for, for decades now, and, and clearly we've had a problem for quite a long time. Are you hopeful? Are you optimistic that we're, we're turning the corner? What's your personal feeling? You've, you've, given an, you've given your life to this research, so I wondered what you thought about you know, outcomes. I am optimistic. Um, the fact that, that the obesity rates are starting to level off in the United States, I think, is a positive sign. Certainly not time to declare victory because they're leveling off at a terrible level. Um, but if you look at the, the signs of society changing, uh, school systems all over the country are beginning to kick out the, or, or now have, kicked out the soft drinks and the snack foods, and they're creating healthier food environments. That would have been considered inconceivable 15, 20 years ago. The thing that would have been considered most inconceivable would have been a tax, a food tax, and now those are being considered all over the place. 
Uh, people are putting pressure on the companies not to market their unhealthy products to children. So I think these are signs of the changing times, and they bode well for what our future might look like. This is How Do We Fix It? And we're talking with Dr. Kelly Brownell. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. A really fascinating conversation. Oh, it's been delightful for me. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks very much. So, Richard, what do you think? (laughs) Well, Kelly Brownell has been studying this stuff for decades. And one of the things I'm really struck by is his message of moderation, of balance. It's not like you should only drink two ounces of soda a week. He was much more general. And I think that the takeaway is common sense and, and that we need to, all of us, take some moderate steps towards, at least in the short term, improving our diets. Obviously, the the controversial part of his solution is this idea of taxing sugary drinks and maybe manipulating prices of of other foods in certain ways. And I really have a problem with that. I mean, I I feel like we've got enough taxes. and, um, And as much as I support the policy and I support the goal... I just don't think that adding new taxes to our to our already tax incredibly rate. complicated tax yeah. system. I, I I'm actually in favor of of simplifying the tax system rather than making it more complicated. And I also worry about using the tax system to influence human behavior because once you start doing it with one thing, you end up with a with an absolute jumble of different often contradictory tax policies. And that's exactly what we have right now. So I I favor a much more simple system. There could even be a perverse incentive here. You know, once a community starts getting a lot of revenue from the sales of a certain product, you know, they they actually don't have that much of an incentive to see consumption drop. But let me say this. I think that on a local level, I kind of like to see it tried somewhere. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with Berkeley doing it or some states doing it. That's that's their prerogative. Sure, sure. Let it's us... just the big federal government in Washington saying, no, right, we, right. we have to increase the price of, of soda. I'm not sure I'm in for, in for that. Let a thousand flowers bloom. But I would argue... Even if it works, I'm still not necessarily – I'm still not in favor of it. You know, I mean there's a lot of good ways you can change people's behavior with a lot of heavy-handed laws and taxes. That doesn't mean that we always do that. Sometimes you have to give people freedom to make bad choices. Yeah, I, I'm much more in favor of informing people. Mm-hmm. making sure they know the facts. I right. mean, I'm all for, you know, calories posted in restaurants. Mm-hmm. I think that's just fine. Mm-hmm. In fact, it changes my, I have to admit, <laughs> yeah. it changes my, when I go into a McDonald's, yeah. it, it changes my behavior for sure. I was at a Yankees game a couple of days ago and I, I went up to get a you know, a hot dog and it was like 800 calories. Oh, okay. All right. I have a hot dog. And I looked at the fries. It was like 1500 calories. So I didn't have them. The one that gets me is popcorn in the movie. You know, you think of popcorn as sort of a Light mm-hmm. snack, and if you make it at home, maybe it is. Holy cow! I mean, you know that that's and that information, making sure people have information to change their behavior, and I think that's part of why we are seeing soda consumption is dropping, obesity is leveled off, right. and starting to decline. You know, maybe yeah. all of this uh, better information yeah. is starting to have an effect. Yeah, I think Michelle Obama's done a great job on this. I think that she's used her bully pulpit of being first lady to really shine a light on this, and has made a a real difference. And her approach has actually been to work 
work with the food companies rather than impose new bans or taxes on certain types of foods. So, but, uh, you know, while we're talking about government policies that uh, that might be helpful, well, you know, my take is always first do no harm. Why is our government subsidizing the overproduction of corn, which leads to this huge flood of high fructose corn syrup? Some people think it's less healthy than regular sugar. I'm not sure the, the research on that but is that persuasive. But it does reduce the cost of Yeah, of but it, yeah. So the government is subsidizing this super cheap right, sugar right. that goes into all kinds of products. They should just stay out of it. So we should look not only at, at the tax question, but also the subsidy question for these for big agriculture. Right, right. And you know, you, you look at the Department of Agriculture and a lot of their dietary recommendations over the years, it's not always so great. Um, you know, I, I think there's there, you could make a libertarian argument that people would be healthier if the government stayed out of these things. I'm not sure that's persuasive or not, but um, but the, certainly the government hasn't always helped. So I think you know, as much as I don't necessarily buy into the full taxation approach, I really think the work Dr. Brownell is doing is really important, and I think that um, that making sure that we all kind of take a look at the at what things. We're doing. Well, yeah. here's what I think happens. Um, capitalism is incredibly good at giving us what we think we want, you know, at really, really cheaply. So he, he was saying that, you know, one of the problems is that unhealthy food tends to be cheap. Well, yeah, it's processed. It's it's an industrial product. So it's it's easy to make it cheap. And that means, you know, I don't think we can change that price structure very easily, not in, not in preserve freedom. But what we can do is be aware of it. And certainly in my life, you know, I'm like one of those sort of crunchy hippie types. I buy my food at the farmer's market and I cook almost everything myself. And I can't remember the last time I had something with added sugar in it, uh, except, you know, maybe once in a blue moon, I'll have a soda. You're you know? such a good guy. And uh, you go on long bike rides, too. He calls <laughs> me. This guy calls me up and says, I just went with my wife on a 40-mile bike ride. Well, good right. for you, Jim. Okay, okay. okay, I admit, on the 40-mile on the bike ride, <laughs> yeah. we, I do eat products with sugar, you know, <laughs> jelly beans and okay. energy drinks and well, stuff. <laughs> I, I, I've struggled a little bit lately with my weight, and I found that the best thing I did was to completely disregard what my mother always told me. And that is, I throw away food now. Yeah. I do not clean my plate. I, I've found, you know, calorie portion control is a good thing. That, you know, I'll order a hamburger and I'll eat three quarters of it and throw away uh, a little bit of it. That may be something that really is hard for people to swallow. But, so, so my, my uh, but secret I, is... But I think it works. My I lost some weight. My secret is buy really expensive beer, uh, you know, like a hoppy IPA. And then you'll there wind you up... You'll probably want, you know, you'll have one of those, but you'll have three Coors Lights. So um, so that's the... So you don't chug back the good stuff <laughs> no, quite as much. No, you savor it. <laughs> okay, there you go. So that's the takeaway from this show. All right, Richard, great, great talking with you, and on and, to next week. And good being in the studio with Miranda Schaefer, our producer, uh, Denise Barbarita, who is our audio engineer here at Mono Lisa Studio in New York. And by the way, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please uh, not only listen to us, but also rate us and review us. It really helps us uh, with growing our audience. Thanks a lot. This show is produced by Davies Content. We make compelling digital audio. Do it again. That's not very compelling. <laughs> um, this show is produced by Davies Content. We make compelling digital audio for businesses and nonprofits. Thanks for listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.